Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, in countless ways we have transgressed against you, but you have been merciful to us and have forgiven the guilt of our sin. Surround us with your unfailing love that we may rejoice in your great goodness now and forever. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, our text for our sermon is Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 32. You've already heard that, the, the, what's known as the prodigal or lost son. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this, is, this parable is often misunderstood and it's even mislabeled. People take it out of its context and they tell a cute story about a guy who gave uh, keys to a Corvette hidden inside a Bible to want to his son and the son gets the Bible and doesn't see the Corvette and storms off and all this stuff. And sometimes people see it and there is a reminder there to be patient parents. But this is a parable that has a context and there are two sons. It should actually be called the parable of the lost sons. And it's put in its context by verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were continually drawing near to him. And so both the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling among themselves by saying, this one keeps on receiving sinners and he keeps on eating together with them. So he told them this parable by saying, he then tells them about the good shepherd who goes after the one sheep that's straying and rejoices when he's found it. And he tells them about the widow who's lost her might and rejoices and calls the neighbors together. God in his grace, comes after those who squandered his grace and were lost. And there's two ways you can do that. And this parable explains both because there's two groups here. There's the tax collectors and sinners and there's the Pharisees and scribes. Now recall at this time in Israel's history, as had been most of the time in Israel, parents were supposed to bring their children up, instructing them in the Lord. They didn't have Sunday school the way we do. It fell on the parents, and the parents had a home education system. But there was always the temple that they stood in the shadow of that taught, and there was always the priests who came on the Sabbath if you lived outside the temple to read the Word of God to you. We are not talking in today's text about unbelievers being brought to the Lord, and that certainly happens we're talking about people who know the Lord, are brought up in knowing the Lord, and depart. And that happens by being either a tax collector, or as the Pharisees called them, sinners, or by actually being a Pharisee. So the first group, let's look at them. That comes in verse 11. Then he said, a man had two sons, and the younger of the two sons said to his father, give me the share of the property which belongs to me. Then the father divided his livelihood to them. Up until industrialization, your children were your retirement account. And it was customary at this time in the history of Israel that if you, if you divided up your inheritance for your kids, the oldest got two-thirds, and then the one-third that was left was left to the others because the oldest would get the bigger responsibility of supporting you in your retirement. So the oldest son tradition, the Bible doesn't say this, probably got two-thirds. The youngest son got one-third. And does he do what he's supposed to do with it? Does he stick around and help dear old dad in his retirement, make sure dad is well provided for and kept safe? No. And after many days, the younger son gathered everything together and he journeyed away from home to a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth with reckless living. These are the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes. These, like one of the disciples, Matthew, formerly known as Levi, they were viewed as traitors because by collecting taxes, they were legalized thieves and they empowered the Roman oppressor to stay there and continually be in control of Israel. 
Now you notice when people are brought up in the church in knowing God, but they want to run away, oftentimes there's this idea that God's holy will is oppressive. And they don't just want to sleep in on Sunday. There's more. They'll want to get away. The wealth, the inheritance they've been given is the kingdom of God. It's forgiveness. It's the salvation. But they want to embrace the ways of the world and squander it. But they want to get away from their brothers and sisters in Christ to do that because they certainly don't want what they would label a guilt trip. Even without somebody saying anything, to simply be reminded that they've ran off to embrace the ways of this world. And the world stands back and it entices us away. But it's so fun. Have it your way. God's oppressing you. You've got to get away. So he takes what dad's given him and he squanders it. Now God does something with people like this. He doesn't always do this, but God works through crosses. He allows hard times to come. God will allow us to fall face first into the gutter so that there's no place else to turn. And then often we will finally say, I need to return to God. It really bothers me when I hear pastors preaching from pulpits that if you follow their however many step plans or if you say their prayer, God will remove your crosses. That teaches that God doesn't mean good in our lives for our crosses. And God clearly meant a good in this young man's life. We're told in verse 14, Now after he blew through everything that belonged to him, a severe famine came throughout the country, and so he on his part began to go without. Allowed the man to blow through his inheritance, and then does allow a famine to come, and the man gets hungry. And so he went and clung to one of the citizens of that country, and that citizen sent the younger son to his farm to feed the pigs. And the younger son was longing to be filled with the carob pods which the pigs were eating, and no one was giving to him. Now, it's very interesting because today we tend to think in terms of entitlement, and we think, boy, that guy was rotten. He sends the guy off to feed his pigs, and he doesn't even give him a decent meal for it. But our inspired Greek language makes it clear that this man kind of forces himself, clings to that guy, and the guy says, all right, well... Go ahead and go feed my pigs. And the carob pods often was food that the poor people ate as well. But see, he's giving it to the pigs and he's not getting enough to eat. Through this hardship, through the pain of his stomach, he comes to the realization. I blew through my inheritance. I, in my dad's home, took for granted that I had three squares a day. Now let's apply this to a modern person that maybe you've read. We had a man who wrote articles in Ford and Christ. See, he was the lost son, the first one, the younger one. He wanted to embrace the ways of the world and what the world was teaching about practicing homosexuality. And he flew, fled from the church. And as a result of his sexually promiscuous life, he could have got this, whether it was with women or with men. But as a result, he got that horrid disease, AIDS. And it was when he had AIDS that like this son, he woke up and realized, I had God's grace. I had his love and forgiveness and I squandered it. And he returned. God never did remove that man's AIDS. There was not a miracle, but he writes in our Ford in Christ magazine that he can be thankful for such a terrible disease because it woke him up and he knows that when he does close his eyes at last, he will wake them up in heaven. Because God did use that to return him. That 
is the prodigal son, the lost son. We have this with our younger people when the ways of the world tells them, hey, shack up with somebody, try it out. Take all the blessings God gives in marriage, but try to escape all the crosses. And, and, and there's many different ways we can do this. We can, we can be so caught up in earning money that we'll run off to our jobs and then get angry when people in the church say you're not feeding your faith. There's many different ways. There's not one specific sin. But this young man, because of this cross, finally comes to his senses. And he says to himself, after rising, I will journey to my father and I will say to him, oh, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired hands. Pay close attention to the full thing he plans on saying to his father, but pay close attention to the first words. No more entitlements. No more I'm owed this. No more excuses because we're good at making up excuses. But it was fun, but I had it this way, but God would. But, but Dad was so mean making me go to the temple on the Sabbath and make those sacrifices. No. He says, I've sinned against God and against you. Recognizes he stands without any excuse. God will allow hardships to come and will allow his law to come and expose that in our hearts. And when we come to that, I'm without excuse. No more lies, no more excuses, no more backpedaling. All I can do is beg you for mercy. That's when we're told the mercy. Jesus died for your sins. God loves you. You're going to heaven. And so he rose and went to his own father. Yet when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with deep compassion. And so his father ran and fell around his neck, gave him a big hug, and affectionately kissed him. Then the son said to him, O father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't get to say, make me as one of your hired hands. He's cut off. Yet his father said to his servants, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and clothe him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and slaughter the calf, namely the prized one. Let us eat and be festive because the son of mine that was dead and has become alive again. He had perished and he has been found. And so they began to be festive. So here it is. This guy is in such bad straits, he doesn't even have sandals on his feet. He's saying, I don't deserve to bask in your kindness anymore, but just let me be like one of your hired hands. And the father instead treats him as royalty. When somebody falls away from the word, from the Lord, from forgiveness, and God puts it in their hearts to come back, God is quick to announce forgiveness, to restore them. They have the full rights as sons, as daughters of God. So that's the point here that Jesus is telling these Pharisees with this son. You condemn that I'm with the tax collectors, the sinners, such as the prostitutes and stuff. Hey, they need God's forgiveness. God loves them too. Now the second son, he's like the Pharisee and the scribes. He's been a faithful son. They were faithful to the law. In fact, they were so faithful to it, they added to the law, right? Now his son, the older one, was in the field. And while coming, he approached the house. He heard a band and dances. And so he summoned one of the servants and was inquiring what these might be. Then the servant said to him, Your brother is here and your father has slaughtered the calf, namely the prized one, because he received your brother back safe and sound. Then he became angry and was not willing to go in. It's not fair. It's not fair. I didn't squander dad's livelihood. I've been faithful with it. That little punk... He blew it away. I ain't going in the house. I ain't having anything to do with that. That's interesting. Our NIV doesn't translate it quite the way the Greek does. The word isn't quite the best one because following that we're told uh, he's standing outside having his fit and then we're told then his father came out and was 
consoling him. Dad comes out to comfort the Pharisee. The one who says, it's not fair. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, the one thing you and I have to understand is, how dare you or I or any human being ever born besides Christ, who is true God and took on human flesh, stand before God and tell him what is fair? Because if God is going to be fair, our own thoughts alone are sins against God, and he should immediately place us in an eternal flames of hell. We have no right telling God what is fair and what is not fair. God's grace is not fair, brothers and sisters in Christ. And isn't it easy for us to be the Pharisees? Now, this didn't happen, but imagine some horrible person in history like Hitler. Hitler who murdered millions. To find out that Hitler, if he had had a deathbed confession, had come to the Lord as the lost son, that he could be in heaven after all those awful things? That's not fair. And the atheists like to rub that in your face. They don't understand that they continue sucking air in their lungs and are spared from the flames of hell now because God is a gracious God. If we want to tell God what's fair, we all go to hell, end of discussion. God is gracious. So we've got to quiet out the little Pharisee in us. So we're told then, yet he responded by saying to his father, he rejects his dad's consolation. Dad comes to talk to him about his love. Look, for so many years I've slaved away for you and I've never disobeyed your command and you never gave a goat to me so that I could be festive with my friends. Yet when your son, the very one who devoured your livelihood with prostitutes came, you slaughtered the prized calf for him. Not fair. I broke my back. His wording is I slaved away for you. You know, he very well may have taken his two-thirds inheritance and worked by the sweat of his brow to increase it so that dear old dad would have a better living. Now, God doesn't need a better living. God obviously represent, is represented by the Father here. Here it is. And isn't it easy for us to play this game maybe in subtler tones? I have come, and I clean that church every week, and I come to Bible study, and that punk kid comes back who has squandered away what the church had given them, and pastor is so lovingly willing after one quick deathbed confession will do a funeral for them. It's not fair. Pharisee thought they were righteous in and of themselves and would point to their works. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the works we do are even a gift from God. We cannot do them unless the blood of Christ has washed them clean of our sin. We cannot do them unless the Holy Spirit is in our heart, because otherwise our motivation is the wrong motivation. Yet this is the second lost son. The father says, my child, you on your part are always with me, and everything that belongs to me is yours. Remember, he would have given, according to the custom of that time, two-thirds of the inheritance to the son. Dad gave it to him. Dad, now this is his retirement account. Dear old dad says, you've got me with you all the time. That person who's always active in worship and says, what do I get out of it from the end? You know, Peter even said that, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. What do we get out of this? You've got me with you. You've got my Holy Spirit living in your heart. You know my grace. You know forgiveness. You know heaven is open to yours. Unless you want to spoil this, pitch this fit and stand outside my invisible church, stand outside the house. He says, yet it was necessary to be festive and rejoice because this very brother of yours was dead and has become alive again and he had perished and has been found. And there the parable ends. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the scribes, the experts in the law when he told this parable. There's an invitation here. 
Jesus is asking them, are you going to stand outside the door or are you going to return to the presence of the Lord and know his grace? The amazing thing for us, brothers and sisters in Christ, last week's parable, we studied the man who had the garden and had the tree that that was full grown and for three years he'd come and it wasn't producing fruit and he said, cut it down, why should it waste the soil? And we did talk about sometimes when those people want to be that lost son and take off and our whole congregation is giving its effort to return them, there's a point where we recognize this person is not coming back and we've got to entrust this to the grace of the Lord. And we learned last week that God is patient Well, manure with the word uses you and I to do that. But today shows us God's grace as well because he comes after the Pharisee in us and he comes after the sinner in us. He's always there ready to create repentance in our heart using external circumstances like crosses. And he's always willing to receive us back and say, you are my beloved child. And so we rejoice knowing Jesus sinners does receive. Amen. As we sing in verse 4, we take the invitation. Come, O sinners, one and all. Come accept his invitation. Come obey his gracious call. Come and take his free salvation. Firmly in these words believe. Jesus, sinners, does receive. Amen.